Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 211. It's a very special show today. Oh, really? Uh, it is, What's because so you're here, Brian uh, Robinson, uh, our writer-producer. We've also got our online content coordinator, Greg Carlos. Hey, hey. And assistant road test, test producer, Kyle Scanlon. Hey, everybody. And uh, in spirit and on uh, electronic, uh, writer, researcher, Garrick Zykin. And we'll get more <laughs> to Z- Garrett in just a minute. Let's talk about what we're going to do today. We're going to run down. Uh, we've got the Fiat 500X. We've also got the new Eco Diesel and the Ram 1500. We've got the Audi A6. We've got a lightning round, a viewer question, rant and raves. We've already been talking about that off mic. But first, we have something very special. You've probably heard of a, that a Porsche is getting ready to come out with its first production all-electric vehicle. It is named Taycan. It is actually spelled T-A-Y-C-A-N. The official coming out party is scheduled for September the 4th. Now, we're actually recording uh, this podcast a couple weeks before that. And the reason we're going to talk about it today is because Garrett Zeichen had a special opportunity to hop over to Germany and drive a pre-production Taycan. And uh, there's only so much information that he was allowed to deliver, but he can talk about uh, the driving impressions of the car. And uh, he was away today, but we wanted to make sure that you got it first. So here is Garrett on tape of what he has to say about the upcoming Porsche all-electric Taycan. So we were part of a very small group of auto riders to go to Porsche's research and development facility near Stuttgart, Germany. We were actually among the first to drive the Porsche Taycan. It was a late-stage prototype, so there was still some camouflage outside, more inside, and there were naturally some rules about what we can and, and can't say. This is what, what we can say, though. Porsche says the name Taycan originates from Turkic. That's a language spoken in Central Asia. We were talking between the Caspian Sea and China, places like Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. They say the rough translation is the soul of a spirited young horse, which if you think about it, it, it fits in with the horse that, that's on the Porsche crest that's, that's been there for more than 65 years. I can tell you after driving the Taycan on a winding country road along the German countryside, it definitely has the lively dynamics that, that easily live up to the name. So, so I think they, they did a good job choosing that name. This is Porsche's first electric car. It evolved from the Mission E concept, which was first unveiled at the 2015 Frankfurt Motor Show. We don't have a lot on the specifics, but but here's what we do know. It has two electric motors, one on each axle. They generate more than 600 horsepower. All that power goes to all four wheels. Again, it's more than 600 horsepower, so we're expecting it to be above that number. So along the, the winding road in the German countryside, it really moved like, like a sports car. Uh, it, it had that, that low, sporty stance and felt very planted going through the curves. Um, the steering also had, had the heft of a sports car. So you definitely have an, a, a sports car sensation as opposed to uh, what you might expect from an EV. But it is an EV. It has an 800-volt architecture. 
the energy comes from a battery under the floor. We've seen that that before. Um, the range, Porsche says, will be more than 300 miles. Because that battery is under the floor, it has a very low center of gravity. In fact, they say it has a lower center of gravity than the 911. Along with driving out in the countryside, we had some time on the track. Now, one of the rules we had to follow is that one of their engineers did the driving. We were sitting in the passenger seat. But even in the passenger seat, you, you definitely get a sense of the potent thrust. For, for those of us who, who like that, the, the, the torque that kind of throws you in the back of your seat, the Taycan definitely does not disappoint on that point. Um, I don't have a specific torque number, but it felt like a ton of torque. And I'm sure that that's, uh, that's an official technical term, a ton of torque. That's, that's exactly what it felt like. The uh, Taycan, it, it handled again like a sports car on the track. It, it went through the corners uh, with really unbelievable balance that we've seen from other, other Porsche products. Part of the um, opportunity was launch control, which really was, was an interesting experience. That's where you really got to feel that, that how strong the, the torque is. Porsche says the Taycan will go 0 to 60 in significantly less than 3.5 seconds. I didn't have a stopwatch with me, but I, I believe it. it. It went by very, very quickly. Um, and at the end of the stretch, the Taycan topped out at 158 miles an hour, which is in line with what Porsche has said. I don't, again, I don't know exactly how long the stretch was, but I know it was 158 miles an hour. It, it really was it, a, a thrilling experience. It, it really was. Um as far as sound, EVs are quiet, and naturally, with a sports car, you want to hear the um, you want to hear the engine. But there isn't an engine in this, so the the engineers took that into account. But they were very careful not to make it sound fake or artificial. So, so this is what they did: they recorded the actual sound of the electric motors, and then they enhanced it. So what you have is a naturally a natural sound of acceleration, which really becomes more prominent in the sportier mode, Sport and Sport Plus. But it's not overwhelming. Um, it, it, def it definitely sounds like it's coming from the, the back of the car, but it's not overwhelming. And if you don't like it, you can turn it off. I think it it does add to the driving experience, but I can see where you may not think so. So you have that option of turning the uh the, the sound of, of the motors off. There there really is still a lot to learn and experience about the Porsche Taycan. We're, we'll naturally learn more at the world premiere in September. But at this point, I, I think what remains important is that it, it looks like a Porsche, it drives like a Porsche, and it absolutely feels like a Porsche. Thank you, Garrett. Garrett Zeichen, who had a chance to go over to Germany and drive a pre-production Porsche Taycan. Uh, once again, we're recording uh, this podcast before the official release date of September the 4th, when a lot more details will be available, and we'll have those on the podcast that follows this. But uh, I think we can all agree from listening to Garrett's account that it's a very impressive automobile and uh, probably shows you where the entire performance car business and supercar business is headed when it comes to all-electric uh, vehicles. You know, anybody that still is under the impression that an electric car is pokey is way off about that. Any other comments from listening to? Was, you, was it more or less than what you thought uh, the first impressions of the car might be? 
Uh, well, we didn't have a whole lot there to uh, grasp onto, but uh, look forward. Very few to, details. I look forward to driving it. Yeah, and we will very soon. Okay, let's move on to, unfortunately, something a little bit more on mundane, but still uh, on the marketplace, a lot more desirable, I would think. We've got a couple of vehicles that Kyle has recently experienced at uh, press launches. Uh, we've got the 2020 Ram 1500 Eco Diesel, and this is a new generation of the diesel engine, and also a reface and revamp of the 2019 Fiat 500X crossover. Uh, okay, Kyle, take it away. All right. Well, I'll start with the Fiat. Um, Fiat was nice enough to bring me out to Manhattan and give me a nice drive along the Hudson River to experience the new engine that they put in the car, which was the the big point of being there. So they went from a 2.4 liter down to a 1.3 liter turbocharged engine. And what's really kind of surprising about this is dropping almost half the size of the engine. They gained about 35% more torque Mm -hmm. in the vehicle, going up to a best-in-class 210-pound feet of torque and uh, when you put that in sport mode you can definitely feel it and if you are a city driver which i think is why they brought us to manhattan to drive in the city and then on the outskirts was uh in sport mode when you have to make those kind of quick and sometimes daring maneuvers to get around a car in front of you or to get in your turning lane you can really do so and the car definitely picks up and gets there and with the all-wheel drive system they have in place it's um it's a very comfortable ride and it's definitely keeps that torque very manageable, but um, also aggressive for a car of its size and style. Uh, what else is new about it? This is um, mid-cycle. Yeah, it's, it's just an update. So a couple other things, you know, with some um, new daytime running lights, some rear tail lamps, LED headlights. Mostly cosmetic. Yeah, some, some smaller cosmetic things, not anything that's really um, – big in any way i'm assuming that any meaningful changes it gets that the jeep renegade will get as well um they didn't say anything yeah, about I'm that i'm sure they didn't <laughs> did you <laughs> they say don't, one to talk about that did you say 1.3 liter yeah 1.3 turbo. liter turbo is it a four or a three it's a four because they had a small four yeah well is it the same alfa romeo 4c has is it the same uh, from that end? This is a new. It's a new one. They, they yeah. had a 1.4 in it before, so this is actually smaller. Yeah, yeah they had a 2.4 in it before. 2.4 naturally four. aspirated, 1.4 yeah. turbo. Four yeah, they had a 4 turbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. It, so, was a fun, it was a fun car to drive. That's that's for sure. I've never really driven a lot of Fiats in my day, mm-hmm. and I was impressed. I'm not going to lie. Hmm. Well, it was definitely comfortable. So. Yeah, they've had a little bit of a hard time getting traction with the 500X. A lot of people want the Renegade, but yeah. under the skin, it's basically the same. You know what's odd is I actually see more 500Ls than I do 500Xs. Yes. They're Me so too. roomy in the side. Yeah, I but, mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, well, I guess we got to give people some more credit for practicality. I mean, I think I do because I always assume people want to go for style, and the X looks better than the L. Man, but yes. you're right. Without the question, L is more yes. comfortable. Yeah. Actually, when you look around at – we used to have uh, a lot of, uh, uh, dare we say, s- compact and subcompact minivan-like vehicles, and we don't have them anymore. Uh, and the 500L is one of the few that sort of fits that rough equation of being a big box, but a small big box. Right. Okay, diesel. All right, yeah, next. I was uh, just outside of Duluth, Minnesota, where Ram brought me out to try the new 1500 EcoDiesel. It's the third generation of their EcoDiesel engine. This one offering class-leading 480 pound-feet of torque for the half-ton diesels and with a towing capacity of 12,560 pounds, which they're also saying is 
class. I'm sure asbestos class. <laughs> so in other words, it's about half as powerful as their top Cummins diesel as far as torque. That's yes. Right, that's right. Yes. The last numbers I saw, the top yeah. Cummins diesel was around 1,000. It's 1,000. So, um, but yeah, and this, the Eco Diesel, they're offering it in the Ram Rebel for the first time. And um, it was it was a lot of fun. I got lucky enough that I got to drive around mostly in the Longhorn Edition. Mm-hmm. So that is a very spacious, very plush interior. And um, you could basically camp out in that thing for a week if you really wanted to. Any any concept of uh, whether, you know, all right, it's more powerful, but is it smoother? Does it? Yeah, they, uh, they reduced the NVH a lot. Mm-hmm. They said that was... Um, Complaint, and I don't want to say complaints, but it was something that 1500 owners wanted was less NVH because they're and, more interested in probably uh, the niceties of a pickup truck than just towing. Exactly. So it's about being comfortable while you're mm-hmm. towing, not just how much you can tow. And, um, you know, driving around, it was a really nice car. I also got to drive the Tradesman for a little bit, and I got to take the Rebel off road. And I was on some pretty steep, pretty hairy inclines where the guys running the off-road course would have me stop in the middle of the hill and just let that thing creep along and that 480 pound feet of torque really will bring you up the hill when you need to tires start shaking around a little bit and felt like i was going to slide back but it it held true and got me up the hill any um any other major advances on this truck i mean pickup wars are you know just absolutely everybody's rabbit about the uh, what's going on between ford uh, GM and, and uh, Ram. Any other changes, any new technology that you're aware of that's on um, this truck? Not that I'm aware of. There was um, some things that the lead engineer had mentioned that were uh, in phrases and words that I didn't quite understand. At least you're honest. Well, the engineer was speaking as an engineer. And I, am, I am not one. I am a TV guy <laughs> and a car guy. And so um, I, you know, I got to talk to him a little bit. But uh, you know, as at these events, everyone's getting pulled in a million directions by all the different automotive journalists. So I was able to just get a little bit of information out of him, but not were, a ton. were they gloating a little bit that they've uh, taken the number two pickup? Truck spot from uh, a couple of chests seem to be in the air. I'm not going to lie. They, they were pretty proud of themselves. And, you know, after driving it, I think they should be. Yeah, it's a good truck. And it's a, it sounds like a great engine. All right, let's move on back to uh, Earth and a very uh, uh, car that I think everybody around this office probably likes. The 2019 Audi A6, 3-liter V6 turbo, 335 horsepower, 48-volt mild hybrid system is new to it. Uh, they've updated their MMI touch system and uh, now has two screens. So what was everybody's impression? I mean, I thought we've always liked the A6. I just thought this was easily the best yet. But in some ways, you, you didn't think that car could get that much better than it has. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because I was just thinking this, the same thing. Um, styling has been a strong point for Audi for the last going on the better part of a yeah, decade now and uh, it gets better i just the way they've they've kind of sharpened up some of the lines um the wheel design now is a massive wheel i think it's like 21 it might even been a 22 inch wheel uh but it looks big which isn't always the case they didn't ride badly with no it. it really didn't but it's a really really cool looking wheel design uh inside it's just filled with all kinds of beautiful looking tech I would say it probably looks just slightly better than it works. I mean, it works fine, but personally, I'm not a huge fan of the uh, the haptics on the lower screen, where it seemed like you have to push things a little bit harder than I'd like to. And that sounds like a real nitpick, and it really kind of is. 
Uh, Did you use the? It has gesture control too, doesn't see, it? See, I, I did I not use that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Be yeah, it does have it. Yeah, and I, I'm curious if other people use that. I use it in BMWs only because that when they come in for us, they usually have that uh, prompt that when say you want to change the, uh, the the station and you do it on the steering wheel, a picture will come up and show you the gesture control. And in that case, I'll at least try it and then never use it again because I just they, don't. In the BMWs, it. I use it for the volume constantly. Really? Yeah. Do you find like it's accurate enough? Yeah, for I find you? it's pretty accurate. Yeah. Little, Do people look at you weird. Finger when you do, like, <laughs> is that guy giving me the finger or like some sort of weird hand gesture? What did they? What about their dual screen do you like that we generally have not liked with others, i.e., Honda and Acura? They have tried it. Uh, probably placement and just quality of the screen. And um, it's, I think it's just presented better. Uh, the, the problem I had with uh, Infinities, I think, they, do they still use the, the two? They used to. I don't know. I think they went away. They might have gotten away yeah, from I can't them. remember. But yeah, in the past, you'd, you'd have one up in like way high on the dash and then one where the uh, traditional screen position would be. I never really liked that. Um, and I, th- a lot of that has to do with the fact that they just didn't look that advanced as far as like graphics. Mm-hmm. This thing looks super advanced, and yeah, yeah, and it's clear like you know each screen has their dedicated role. The bottom one is more; it's not like a touch screen. It's more like just touch panel controls, almost like Cadillac's old Q, but obviously a much better execution of it. Although I'm still not, I'm still not a fan. I, you know, give me. I would rather have a dedicated touch screen. Versus like the touch panel kind of type. That's and, I, and I guess that's what I was talking about, gesture yeah. control, that basically, you know, they've, they've gone away from their central controller. Right. And I think that's a step backwards since uh, they had the best one out there. I certainly think so. But I, not everyone was a fan of the Audi system as much as I was. Yeah. Well, I think it was all we always measured it against BMW and Mercedes. We just thought theirs worked better. It, uh, go ahead. You're so, ready to it's, go. it's just interesting that you guys say that about the tuck screen because I actually preferred it to have that. You have to put a little bit more pressure on it, and you kind of almost feel like you press a button. Because in other vehicles that we have, and I'm not going to name names on it, but one of our long terms I just took on a road trip. Yeah, let's not. No. no. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it, it's almost like if I looked at the touchscreen wrong, it would switch on me and go to uh-huh. something else. Uh-huh. And so too trying sensitive. To, yeah, too sensitive. That's an unusual it, complaint. Yeah, it was too sensitive. Trying to turn the volume knob, one of my knuckles would barely graze it, and it would either change the station or change it to the map when I wanted it to be on the Sirius XM. So so you, so you something. like something that's a little more heavy. So, yeah, I, I preferred that just that little, almost like a, it almost feels like a vibration when you have to press it and almost get that button. Yeah, we have this it. great performing car, and we have spent 70 or 80% of the time that we're talking about. <laughs> talking about touchscreen. Talking about touchscreen. <laughs> it's all, I mean, that's, that's where we're at with technology. It's all about the user experience. I mean, you read any press kit on any car. That's going to be the first half of the press kit is how their technology is better than everyone mm-hmm. else's. And they have this and no one else does. And I mean, that's where we are. You know, over the years, though, I am going to talk a little bit about driving. You know, we've, we've always looked at, especially the BMW 3 Series, as sort of like the benchmark and either compact or midsize sports sedans. But, man, the, the A6 is just such an amazing car to drive. There's there's a lightness to the car that Audi has always had, and it's it's kind of it kind of runs against the grain. It's light in one aspect, but you feel extremely solid and safe in the other. And I thought they had notched up 
this car another big level. So. We did have the upgraded sports suspension, True, which should did. be mm-hmm. uh, noted. Yeah, because you might not get that same experience. Yeah. Right they out continue. Of the box. They constantly update the Quattro system. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets more and more rear biased. It seems as as they go, which certainly adds to the handling characteristics. And adding the forty eight volt mild hybrid system is going to set them up to add a lot more technology in the future. Mm-hmm. It's quick, very quick. Okay, lightning round. We've all got roughly 30 seconds to talk about a topic, and Kyle's may or may not ring the bell, depending on how he feels about oh, it. That's my bell. Uh, he's definitely, he's definitely not going to ring I'm the sorry. Bell. I, that's, that's it was Greg's over bell. by Kyle. <clears throat> Greg, <laughs> who uh, is, of course, uh, the producer of our podcast. It is his purview. He's now taking it back, and there was no tug of war across the table. All right, speaking of the A6, Audi has announced that they're bringing – the high-performance RS6 Avant to the U.S. For those not familiar with European term, an Avant is what we call a station wagon. Naturally, because it's a wagon with a ton of horsepower, American auto journalists are overjoyed. But will American consumers feel the same? Probably not. But no, the all-road sold reasonably well. Yeah. Uh, it kind of goes back to what we were saying with the 500L, 500X thing. Yeah. Um, it's weird here because you mentioned the all road. That's a little bit more of a practical car, and this yeah. is a much this higher is more performer. much more high performance. This will be like an E sixty three wagon type mm-hmm. deal. Um, you know, Audi probably wouldn't bring it here if they didn't know they could sell a few of them to make some I, money. I have to say, I'm surprised. I the, mean, it's almost like a flag waiver for well, them. You know, it, it's just one of those forbidden fruits that we hardly ever get, and I think we're just mostly excited because somebody's finally, yeah. you know, well, I mean, Mercedes has done it for a while. Well, when this show started eons ago, you know, the hot thing was were Volvo turbo wagons, and that's what everybody was gaga about, and they sold quite well. Yeah. Well, my time's up. Okay. Somebody else go. All right. Um, I'll go then. Uh, I'm actually excited. I hope it does come to the States. I have, oh, it's, oh, coming. it's coming. Oh, it's yeah. coming for sure. It. Okay. Yeah. Well then, yeah, then I'm just excited. I, uh, I used to have an S4 back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember the first time I saw someone blow by me on the highway with the S4 Avant and I kind of was surprised. I looked over and went, man, I might like that more than my regular S4. Mm. And in actually recent days, I've been looking online for an an old S4 Avant that I might want to pick up as a project car just to have some fun with. But I think um, I think it'll be really cool, especially with the RS6 Avant. Oh. I didn't even mean to hit that. Sorry, right. 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 I, I got an itchy, itchy trigger one. finger. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. To answer the will American consumers feel the same, uh, I'm not so sure. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, obviously high-performance fans, you can probably do better with a sedan, uh, and utility buyers can do much better with an SUV. It's a very small uh, market. It's similar like Slow. Cadillac, CTSV yeah. wagon. You know, the few people that bought it, you know, love them, but yeah. I think it's a very limited market. So somebody goes into an Audi dealership. How does this – do they go in to buy this? Is there any way an Audi salesman can talk them out of like an <laughs> SQ5 and say, "Hey, hop into this hey, RS"? Yeah, it's called money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, offer them a deal they can't refuse. Mm-hmm. You know, the funny thing is that 
a lot of people look down their nose at, at Avance and wagons, but they're actually extremely easy to use. You've got a lower lift in the back when you want to load something. You can sort of fall down into them instead of crawling up into well, them. We had that yes, Jaguar nice. XF yeah. Sport Brake. Exactly. Cool, man. That and was a cool Everyone fr- loved driving it. And then you can't even find one at the dealer. Yeah. He's like, I don't even get them in because everyone just buys an SUV. They, yeah. they don't even want it. Yeah. So. Yeah. <sighs> Um, another Audi thing that's not on our list to cover, but I don't know if you're aware of it. There's a company, a new company called Hollow Ride, and it's a spinoff of Audi. And what they're getting ready to do is offer, well, they're offering now car, any car manufacturer a chance to put a system in their car that gives the backseat passengers virtual reality. Uh, you'll have the goggles, the whole nine yards, and both, and they'll have all sorts of games and different things to uh, to look at. But the secret of the system is that it is tied to the motion of the car to keep you from getting sick. They uh-huh. did. Uh, they've done some uh, uh, trials with it. People have ridden around and written about it, and they were uh, like ninety miles an hour on Canyon Roads, and nobody got sick. Hollow Ride and other people are starting to write about a revolution coming in in in-car entertainment, part of it made possible by the coming 5G uh, uh, wireless. And uh, it's an interesting system. I've seen some pictures of people riding around, and they've got the goggles on, and they're having a great experience, but they're not getting sick. So, uh, it's be like Tupac's going to be singing on the dashboard uh, or something? What? <laughs> what? Tupac. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Anyway, something new coming, technology I had never heard of until uh, about this week. Okay, we have a viewer question from Susanna. I bought a 2019 Kia Nero PHEV. Good for you. Back in June. She said, uh, our short-term review helped her make that decision. I hope you're happy with it. I'm curious how to maximize the mileage I get in balance between plugging in and driving in sport mode. The best mileage I've gotten is 51 miles per gallon, but usually it's in the 40s. I alternate between driving in electric and letting the battery wear down and then driving in sport until the battery is charged. Is that okay? It's okay, but... The way that the EPA rules are written and when they do mileage estimates, you're not supposed to do anything except let the car drive in its normal mode. So we think, and we're not 100% sure because we've got one here, uh, that you get your best mileage when you just start it up and drive away and let the car um wear the battery down on its own, and you keep going. Now, 51 is, I think, without having the sheet in front of me, pretty close to what we've been getting uh, after thousands of miles on ours. Yeah, I mean, don't overthink it. That's the main. Just leave it in normal, and you got it right there in front of you, their gauge. There's an eco gauge. You keep it in the green, uh, and you're going to be maxing it out no matter what mode the car's driving in. I think, um, to be fair, I did – leave out that she uh, thinks she has limited access to plugging in. So that's uh, one uh, thing that yeah. changes her scheme a little bit. You don't want to be in sport strictly to charge the battery because that's just using your engine more as a generator than a power, uh, providing power, and that just kills your MPG. So, yeah, just keep it on normal mode. And you're basically driving it as a normal hybrid at that point. So I'm not sure why you – if you didn't plan on plugging it in, um, a plug-in hybrid's not your best option. But when you do plug it in, you're going to have basically the advantage of using zero gas. The more you plug it in, the less, less gas you'll use. We were talking to an engineer that makes 
arrival of PHEV earlier today, and he lives like 10 miles from his work, and he basically hasn't bought gas in months. So um, sounds to me like whatever you were doing to get around 51 MPG, uh, keep doing it. That's probably going to be your best bet. And who knows, maybe the, some of these um, um, pads that you'll be able to park over and charge your car will come along a little quicker than they have. <laughs> Rant and rave time. Is anything sticking in anybody's uh, craw? As oh, they Greg say. had a good one earlier. I'll try to Greg's make it short, one. sweet, and furious just because <laughs> short, I think we're, we're running up against time. But uh, uh, people who go to a grocery store or any store and park in the fire lane – which is it's okay, I guess. No, even isn't. though, well, hold on, no, let me continue. <laughs> if you're going to drop somebody off real quick and get out of the fire lane, that's fine. Um, but what I'm noticing more and more often is somebody comes up, parks, gets out of the car, only person in the car, and goes into the store for five. 10, you mean they just leave the car? Yeah, there. no flashes or anything. Yep. which is just ridiculous. They could probably get out sooner if uh, the person in front of them didn't have 17 items and the 11 items are missing. <laughs> <laughs> You may not be their fault that it took them so long. But which angers you more, Greg? That or someone pulling through parking spaces? Which one uh, angers you more? Oh, that's a good question. I pull through parking spaces all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've softened on my pulling through parking spaces. Because now you're stands. doing it too. So I'll, I'll go with the people who, who uh, park in the fire lane. Um, but still, you got to be yeah. careful when you pull through yeah. parking spaces. <laughs> it, to me, it's a matter of, come on. I understand if someone on, can't get a, around fairly well and, and, you know, there's a lot of people have trouble walking and, for various reasons, that they let somebody out. But at least but to actually just park there yeah. so that someone that needs to load their groceries can't get around Or, them. God forbid, a fire truck shows up or and needs to pull yeah, in there. That's if, really the height of inconsistency. If I wasn't so scared of all these new like fighting techniques and MMA, and <laughs> I, would, I would say something. Right. Yeah, guns uh, is another, guns yeah. is another yeah. one. I definitely that's don't want to get shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just like, I can uh, run from somebody. I'd say something I wasn't so scared job. of people. I would like to see that. <laughs> what running no no <laughs> silence <laughs> you opened chirp, your mouth chirp, chirp. and it came out that's it we're, we're out of time we're folks close our mouths now thanks very much for everybody for participating brian robinson greg carlos kyle scanlon and garrick zykin remotely uh we hope you'll join us for our next podcast Anyway, we want a special thanks to our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, who always makes us sound better than we have any right to, to sound, Greg Carlos, who's producer, and podcast creator, Bob Mixter. To all of you out there, thanks for watching Motor Week on public TV stations around the country and now on the Motor Trend Cable Network and all the other places we're out there on YouTube and out in the uh, – I have no idea how many places we are, but uh, we places. really appreciate all it. All over the interwebs. In the end, it's you that make us what we are, so thanks for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by – TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.